Good morning from Northern California. It's back to reading The Lady in Gold. The extraordinary tale of Gustav Klimt's masterpiece, Portrait of Adele Blockbauer, by Anne Marie O'Connor. And we are at Supreme Judgment. The Supreme Court case seemed a long shot. The George W. Bush administration had warned the judges of the, Ninth, of the Ninth Circuit Court of the diplomatic consequences of allowing Maria's lawsuit to go forward. Now it filed a brief with the Supreme Court supporting Austria's position. Leila Sadat of Washington University expert on international criminal and human rights law voiced a common view. I think the plaintiffs are probably swimming upstream. Randall and Maria figured they had nothing to lose. But the stakes were much higher now. Maria and Ron Lauder, Lauder, like Estee Lauder, had told her that the Supreme Court argument should be made by a more experienced attorney, such as Robert Bork, a conservative warhorse who's embarked sorry, whose embattled nomination as Supreme Court Justice had gone down in defeat in 1987. Lauder said, you can't just have Randy at the Supreme Court. Maria said, a Lauder spokesman said he only wished to assist Randall. Legendary Los Angeles trial lawyer Bert Fields told Maria, told Maria she should add an experienced litigator to her Supreme Court team. I would have been glad to help, Fields recalled later. Maria mulled this over. Randall was living the case now. He didn't have time for a lot of distractions. His wife was at the end of another difficult pregnancy. People who had call, people who called him at home after hours would find him bathing his two younger children, Dora and Nathan, or putting them to bed. Randall drove to Los Angeles hearings, singing along with the powerful soprano Jesse Norman to love, the love death from Richard Wagner's opera Tristan and Isolde to build his morale before preliminary hearings with the lawyer for Austria. Scott Cooper of Proskauer Rose. In Los Angeles, Randall and Maria were a familiar sight, appearing together at small luncheons of legal associations and stolen art registries, where Randall would stand up and explain the technical minutia of laws governing stolen art and the complicated twists and turns of their case. Could anyone articulate their arguments better than Randall? To Maria, Randall and the case seemed inseparable. In a pragmatic drive-by world, Maria was loyal to the people she believed in. They would go to the Supreme Court together. On the eve of the February 2024 20, uh, sorry, on the eve of the February 2004 hearing, Maria went to the Holocaust Museum in Washington and walked through the corridors. She studied the images of the concentration camps liberated by American soldiers, filled with dead prisoners and emaciated survivors. They could have been her, all of them, 
she was alive because she had escaped. If her father hadn't died, she would have stayed in Vienna. They would have been dra- they would have been doomed. When Randall walked into the vast court chamber the next morning, Maria was disconcerted. Randy looked so small, so incredibly young. She saw the judges look at him and exchange smiles. Would they take Randy seriously? Justice David Souter's first question to Randy was, Randall was long, unintelligible, incomprehensible. Randall froze. He had absolutely no idea what Souter was talking about. Can you repeat the question, Randall said finally. There were gasps in the audience. Randall felt like an Olympic figure skater who had fallen on the ice at his first jump. But the Supreme Court justices smiled. Randall would later hear that suitor sometimes threw out a convoluted first question. Randall began again. He felt himself gain momentum for the test, sorry, for the rest of his argument. He felt like he was soaring. Scott Cooper, Austria's lawyer, was arguing that the exceptions to the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act enacted in 1976 could not be applied retroactively to events that had occurred 50 years ago. Cooper said he felt international law shielded Austria from these kinds of lawsuits. The question is one of the expectations of one sovereign that it would be treated fairly by another, he argued. Justice Antonin Scalia, a conservative, cut in. I don't know if we protect expectations of this sort, he shot back. To Randall, this seemed to sign, seemed a sign that things were going well for him. But the next morning, David Pike, a veteran Supreme Court reporter in his 60s, predicted in the Los Angeles Daily Journal that Randall would lose. Randall hated the headline. Court likely will reverse art case. He called Pike. Why did you write this? He demanded tersely. Pike sighed. I've been reporting on the Supreme Court for 30 years, he said. You don't have a chance. The body language was against you. For the next three months, Randall woke up every morning and booted up his computer to check the Supreme Court website. One morning, as he made breakfast for his kids, the phone rang. It was David Pike. This was a very bad omen. Okay, give me the bad news, Randall said, and he was still ticked off at the at Pike. Pike paused. You won, he said. A few hours later, Maria was surrounded by reporters. Because Mrs. Altman an 80, is 80 year, 88 years old, we're trying to get a trial date very soon, Randall was telling a British journalist. Slowly but surely, people are realizing paintings like these have to be returned. He spent six years on this, Maria told another reporter, smiling at Randall with maternal affection. Would you be willing to settle with the Austrian government? A reporter was asking. Well, Maria began. Randall broke in. You can't be too eager to settle with them, he said. You shouldn't even talk about it. It's up to Austria to decide how they will treat this issue, Randall said. Right now, it's a big embarrassment to lose a case in Supreme U.S. Supreme Court. A documentary crew was hovering over Maria, 
You're famous, Randall said. Maria looked fatigued. She headed for the kitchen. Randall followed. Just be careful, he told her. Everybody wants to do a deal. Don't send the wrong message. Randall forced... Sorry. <laughs> My glasses. I... Never mind. It's a long story. But I'm not reading that well. Randall feared a settlement offer would give the Austrians an excuse to stall and hurt their efforts to get a resolution on the case. Maria sat down wearily at the kitchen table. The phone and the, and the phone and doorbell kept ringing. She sighed, reaching out to touch the pink asters on the table. I'm not a kid anymore, Maria said. I get very tired. I'm concerned about Nellie, she said. She has the idea that what we were doing was not correct. She regarded a framed pen and an ink drawing of her father, Gustav, playing his beloved Stradivarius. I didn't have any hope, not this much, Maria said, holding up her little finger like holding up her little finger, her face a mirror of mixed emotions. The Austrians were, will still fight us tooth and nail. In Vienna, Tillman studied, studied the U.S. Supreme Court decision with deep dismay. The ruling did not deal with the ownership of the paintings. It was highly technical. The Supreme Court concluded that the 1976 U.S. Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act could be retroactively applied, Justice John Paul Stevens said, that while the act actually protects foreign governments from lawsuits in the United States, this case could proceed under the expropriations exception. <laughs> There's always an exception. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh about this. <laughs> uh. The ruling did not deal with the merits of Maria's lawsuit, but the details were aired anyway in the summary of the allegations. In 1946, Austria enact, enacted a law declaring all transactions motivated by Nazi ideology null and void, wrote Justice Stevens in the majority opinion. This did not result in the immediate return of looted artwork. So, uh, to exo exiled Austrians. However, because a different provision of Austrian law prescribed export of artworks deemed to be important to the country's cultural heritage and required anyone wishing to export art to obtain the permission of the Austrian Federal Monument Agency. Seeking to profit from the, this requirement, the gallery and the Federal Monument Agency allegedly adopted a practice of forcing Jews to donate or trade valuable artworks to the gallery in exchange for exports for export permits for other works. This ruling allowed the case to proceed in the United States courts. The entire grievance had now been aired in the high-profile forum. This was a major setback for Austria. Now the country faced the damning prospect, or the daunting prospect of defending itself against a prominent Holocaust case in a United States court. Even in appeals 
even its appeal wait even its appeals would publicize Maria's side of the case all over the world. Austria was cornered. In April 2005, Maria and their other heirs received a 21.8 million award from a Swiss restitution fund for the surrender of Fernandon's sugar factory by the Swiss bank that had illegally handed it over for Arianization. The tide was turning. Next is arbitration. Okay, so here's arbitration, but I have a little caveat in the beginning. The last piece of this, when I read it, I had lost my glasses, I have to be honest. Not lost them. I had broken them uh, a few weeks ahead of time, and I had been putting off reading because of that. And I finally got into the doctor, and yes, I do ne indeed need a new prescription anyway, so... The last uh, chapter I was reading with these readers I bought, <laughs> and I still don't have my new glasses, but I have my old glasses on from the two prescriptions ago. <laughs> so hopefully I can get through this reading. It's called Arbitration. Randall, the seasoned chess player, thought long and hard. Then he proposed his next move. Randall told Maria he thought that he should that <laughs> sorry Randall told Maria he thought they should accept an Austrian offer to submit the case to binding arbitration with a panel of Austrian legal experts. Maria was visibly startled. Maria, if you want this case decided in your lifetime, we have to take this chance, Randall said. Maria stared at him. Trust the Austrians? You're crazy, she said. Siernan also had his doubts. Are you sure, he kept asking Randall. Five Blockbauer heirs agreed to take part in the arbitration in Austria. Four of them were represented by Randall. Maria, George Bentley, the son who had made the Yugoslavian escape aboard the Orient Express in the arms of Thea and Robert, Trevor Mantle, the nephew of Robert's second wife, and Francis, Nellie's younger brother, Franz. Nellie herself took part, though she had her own lawyer, William Berardino of Vancouver. Nellie said she didn't wish to stand in the way of her family. Randall wondered if she had, she also doubted the Austrian arbitrators would ever give them the paintings. Randall appeared before the Austrian arbitration panel in Vienna in September 2005 to present his case in German and English. Under the terms of the arbitration, Randall had chosen one of the arbitrators, Andreas Nodl, a charismatic barrister, or barrister whose intensity and rangy physicality were more suggestive of a symphony conductor than a lawyer. Nodal had met Randall in 2000 during Austrian negotiations over Aryanized property. Nodal and his wife had invited Randall to dinner in Vienna, and Randall taught Nodal's kids to sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Austria chose its own expert, Walter Rickberger, the dean of the University of Vienna Law School. Nodal and Rickberger elected the third panelist, Peter Rummel, 
Rummel, born in 1940, was a dark horse. He had an impeccable reputation. He was a distinguished law professor and had served in the dean as the dean of the Faculty of Law in Linz, Hitler's adopted hometown. He had written a highly influential two-volume work on Austrian civil law that was considered an obligatory reference. His son, Martin Rummel, was a concert cellist. But little else was known about his background or his sympathies except that he was German-born. He acquired an Austrian citizenship as an adult. Nodal told Randall they had selected Rummel. It was the same day Joseph Ratzinger was named the new pope. I hope he wasn't a member of Hitler Youth, too, Randall said, of the ignomatic Rummel apocryphally Rummel was born in 1940. The panelists sat down and began a long walk through history. This was more than just law. This was a search for justice. Christmas came and still there was no decision. Randall had also maintained that Ferdinand had owned the Klimt portrait of his friend Amelie Zuckerkondel, but since some of her heirs also claimed the painting, it was set aside for a separate arbitration. Behind the scenes, the panelists had, had concluded that under the patriarchal property laws of Adele's era, the owner of the Klimt's were prom- presumably Fernandad, and Adele's will was a mere request. They discarded as they discarded as far-fetched Toman's suggestion that Fernandad might have claimed he owned his owned the paintings to protect her from speculation about her relationship with Klimt. The panelists wrestled for weeks over one of the key issues: whether Austria had extorted the paintings quid pro quo, quid pro quo in exchange for exit permits for other property a keystone of the 1998 restitution law. The Austrian government had long said the case had nothing to do with the Holocaust and was simple case of Adele's will. It was clear they had greatly miscalculated. During the Third Reich, the panelists noted, the parties involved in acts of seizure often did everything they could to at least give the appearance of legally valid transactions, leaving even acts of civil law open to question. Eric Fuller, no, Eric Furr, didn't seem to have adhered to Adele's will anyway. He had handed her paintings over to the Belvedere while Fernandad was still very much alive, and he simply extorted Klimt's Schlosskammer um Odyssey, Fernandad's sole donation, which Randall did not claim. After the war, it appeared that Gustav Reinsch used the paintings as weapons to recover what he could from Austria for his old friends who had fled. Finally, on Jan- January 15, 2006, the three arbiters, arbitrators sorry, made a decision, but instead of relief, they felt an even greater burden. Nodal was drained. A few hours later, he took his family to the Belvedere Palace for a silent look at the, golden, at the gold portrait of Adele, whose destiny would be sealed by the judgment. For Randall, the wait was agonizing. He nursed growing doubts about whether he should have trusted an Austrian panel. After all these years, he had, had he finally made a fatal misstep. 
He distractedly attended children's birthday parties one Sunday in mid-January with Pam and their three vivacious children. There was still no word. Randall second-guessed himself all day. Maybe he should have stuck with the U.S. courts. Maybe Maria was right. Maybe he had been crazy to place his trust in an Austrian panel after Austria had fought him every step of the way. That afternoon, he played chess. His friend won easily with a pawn. That evening, Randall lost his hand after hand of poker, leaving $60 on the table. It seemed a bad omen. It was well after midnight when Randall got home. His blackberry was on the table when he left it, where he left it, its message light blinking as usual. Joey had a fever and Pam was asleep. Randall picked up the Blackberry and scrolled through the messages from family and work. He spotted one message from Austria and with trepidation he opened it. He stared at the message in disbelief. He had won. Unbelievably, he had won. He had to tell someone. He looked in on Pam, but she was sound asleep. It was too late to call anyone. Except Hubertus Sernan. He picked up the phone. The Viennese journalist was was with his wife and three daughters getting ready to celebrate his 50th birthday with the help of the morphine that kept his pain at bay. He and Randall laughed together at their unexpected shared victory. The next day, the phone rang nonstop at Randall's office. He idly played his messages. I let out a whooping yell in the bathroom when I heard this on NPR. I'm just bursting with pride. This will be with you for the next, for the rest of your life, a friend of his, Art Gilbert, said euphorically. I have a possible buyer for some of the paintings, began another caller. Randall laughed. You don't know how many calls I get like that, he said. At home, an aromatic aromatic smell filled the peaceful kitchen as the Schoenberg kids waited for Randall. My daddy won a big case, announced Dora, a a self-possessed little girl with long brown hair and bangs, wearing a multicolored skirt and blue top tennis shoes. Randall walked in with his bulging briefcase. The kids scrambled to greet him. Little Joy sang an Elmo song at the top of his lungs. Nathan tugged at his hand. Daddy, my friends, they said they saw you on TV, Nathan shouted. Randall sat down in his everyday navy blue seat. Suit, (laughs) sorry. He seemed shell-shocked. Had he really won? Maria was afraid until the last minute that we would lose, Randall said. Now, after fighting with Austrian officials for years, Randall had to open discussions with them had to open yet discussions with them on the logistics of the removal of the paintings. There's not going to be any donations or any loans to Austria, Randall said adamantly. If an Austrian museum wants to buy them, that's perfectly fine. I don't know if that's going to be possible. There's a lot of debate in Austria. There's a lot of recrimination at the government for letting it get this far. They're being criticized for a tactical blunder. They were acting on principle. The principle was wrong. I think they owe us an apology, but I'm not holding my breath, he said. There's no honor in fighting to the death and holding out for a bad cause. Like, It's like Hitler's soldiers fighting to the death. There's no honor in that. The options are open, Randall said. Maybe we'll put them in a museum. He's like, 
it's like when you win the lottery. What do you do with the money? It's quite, sorry, <laughs> it's a great position to be in. We took a huge leap, Maria, and I have an understanding. If money comes, we'll both be doing well. When Maria was asked about the future of the paintings, she said they belonged on public view. I would not want any private person to buy these paintings, she told the Los Angeles Times. It's very meaningful to me that they, should be, that they are seen by anybody who wants to see them because that would have been the wish of my aunt. At a celebratory dinner at Spago, Maria's son Peter delivered a toast for Randall and Maria's David and Goliath battle. This is a fairy tale story because Maria did find her prince, Peter read, and her prince is rescuing the Klimps. But as Randy cautions, the ship is not yet here. But the art market already saw its ship coming in. Stephen Lash of Christie's flew to Los Angeles. The availability of the block bar Klimps in most significant, in the most significant event in the art market since the World War itself, Lash wrote Randall that February. The objects are of such astonishing beauty and the story of the struggle for their restitution so compelling that their sale, privately or at public auction, will continue to capture the world's imagination. The portrait of Adele Blockbauer, one, will be the most expensive work of art ever sold, Lash predicted. And the next chapter is called Chow Adele.